0: You ever watch a movie and wonder how in the world did that movie get past the editing room as it was just like that, right? In 20, um, 2016, actually, there was a, a movie that came out in um, in response to the growing popularity of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right?, And the success of the Avengers, DC Comics has decided we're going to put out movies to try to catch up to the Avengers, to Marvel, to catch up to the cinematic universe. And so they rushed a project called Batman v. Superman Dawn of Justice and if you watch the movie um, you know you expect to see Batman and Superman fighting but even then there was this everything was going okay the movie was not that great but then what really got me was like the height of the biggest moment right Batman and Superman are battling and then Superman is taken down because Batman gets a kryptonite spear and then Batman has Superman beat he's about to kill him he cuts him across the face he's like saying some quippy lines to him and he's stops because superman says martha and we come to find that batman stops himself from killing superman because his mom's name was also martha it's just a questionable choice to put in the movie in the middle of the height of an action sequence of a fight it stops because they have the same names Of their mothers. It was just a weird choice. Who was in that editing room that said, okay, release this to the public? They're gonna love it. I think oftentimes the difference between a really good movie and a really bad movie are editors. Right, You can have the most cinematic shots in the world. You can have the most dynamic screenplay and script. You can have the most epic soundtrack. But if it's not edited well, it'll still be a terrible movie. Case in point, Zack Snyder actually released his version of Batman v Superman a few years later called The Snyder Cut, and it was generally better received. Same shots, same music, same actors, just edited and rearranged differently. See, editors know how to refine a story. They know what to focus on, but more importantly, they know what to cut out that distracts from the narrative. And they know how to draw out the beauty from every story. Now, you're probably wondering why I'm talking about editing. You and I may not be part of a movie, but we are telling a story with our lives every single day. We're living a story Every moment that we're breathing, every moment that we're living, we are telling a story with our lives. And if we hope to live the kind of stories worth telling, we need to find editors who will come into our lives, editors who will help us refine our story. Editors who remind us of who we are when we forget. Editors who keep us on track to do what God's called us to do. Editors who have the hard conversations with us when we're acting a fool or making a mess of ourselves. Editors who draw out the beauty from our stories. You know, it seems like every few months I'm reading about another high profile Christian leader caught in scandal, and every time I read these headlines, I wonder where were the editors in their lives? Where were the people who said this is a mistake? Where were the people who said this is beneath who you are? Where were the people who in their lives noticed that they were veering off track and called them back? I wonder how different these stories would have played out if these people would have simply invited editors to come into the lives and walk with them. How often have we watched our close friends make poor decisions or how, how often have we had close ones who, who fell into destructive tendencies and habits? How often have we been in, in the presence or witnessed loved ones st- stray away from the stories that God has called them to live? I would argue that. We need editors so that we can stay on track to live the kind of stories that God is calling us to live. And so who are our editors, right? Um, I don't have an editing room at the back of my house with people that are constantly combing through my life and deciding, what do I put in? What do I put out? Who are our editors? Our editors are our friends. They're our community. There are Um, mentors, there are pastors, there are family members. It's the people that we trust. It's the people who love us without question, the people who accept us without any condition. They are our editors. And every good story that's being written right now needs good editors. It needs editing. I want to look at David. David is one of the most notable characters throughout all of Scripture. But as great as David was, it was the editors that God sent into his life that made his story truly exceptional. 1 Samuel 16. right? Samuel is looking to anoint a new king of Israel. Saul's time is up. They're they're looking for someone else to take the mantle of ruling over Israel. And he shows up to the house of Jesse. And I want us to look at 1 Samuel 16, 10 through 13. It says, Jesse had seven of his sons sons passed before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So we asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So we sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. What's happening here? David is a lowly shepherd boy working in the fields. No ambition to do anything else but tend sheep for the rest of his entire life. But here comes Samuel. And Samuel comes and he says, David, you're not just a shepherd boy. You're a king. He says, David, you're not just going to lead these sheep. You're going to lead an entire nation. And he sets this ominous new trajectory for his life to become who God's always called him to be. Why? Because Samuel was sent as an editor into David's life to thrust David into the story he was always meant to live. He said, this is not your story. This is your story. You were meant to be king, to become the king you were always meant to be. We go a a, a little later, 2 Samuel 12. In the previous chapter right before this, in 2 Samuel 11, David had just leveraged his power to sleep with another man's wife, Bathsheba, Right, one of the most popular stories. And, And then he then had Bathsheba's husband killed in in battle so he could take her as his own wife. And so essentially David, he rapes someone and he murders someone, right? And Nathan, at the height of this, at the height of his sin and error, he shows up and confronts David. Second Samuel twelve, nine through ten. This is when Nathan says, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Nathan shows up and he says, listen, I'm not going to let you off of the hook here, David. I'm going to call you out on your BS you have done horrible things and you, you need to try to make things right. He says, I'm not gonna let you live beneath who you actually are. And as a result, it says, David repents. God sends Nathan to David as an editor to confront him about his sin and call him back to his true self. You see, as amazing as David was, it was the editors in his life that truly made his story exceptional. So I wanna ask you, Do you have editors in your life who are calling out who you were truly meant to be? Do you have editors in your life who will bring you back on course when you stray off? Do you have editors that will call you out on your BS? Do you have editors that will say, hey, I need to have the hard conversation with you? You were acting a fool. Or I'm concerned about this in your life. Do we have editors who will help us live the stories that God has called us to live? So the question is, how do we make space for editors in our lives? And I want us to look at something that I didn't learn, even though I have a degree in psychology. I don't remember this from psych class, but it's, it's commonly known in the psychology world as the Johari window. Has anyone ever heard of it? The Johari window. Well, Johari, um, I thought it was some cool translation or a cool word. It's actually just the combination of the first names of the two people who developed it. Um, It was developed by psychologists Joseph Luft and Harrington Ingham, Johari. Then they developed the Johari window model in 1955. And it's often used as a feedback model for self-awareness between members in a group right? And so it's helping us understand how to be more self-aware, especially in the context of a group. And I think it's actually a helpful framework that we can use today to help us invite editors into our lives so that we can live the stories that we're called to live. And so can you put up the, uh, the window really quick? this is what the Johari window looks like. There are four panels within this window. The first is the open area. The second is the blind area. The third is the hidden area. The fourth is the unknown area. And depending on how you live your life or how many people you've invited into your life or what kind of things you have set up in your life. Some sections can be bigger than the others. So we're just going to go through these one by one. And I believe God's going to show us in this context what it means to invite editors into our lives. And so that first quadrant right there is known as the open area. And this is the, thing, the things in our lives that are known to us and also known to others, right? It's, it represents what people know about you. And what you know about you, this can include your beliefs or views, your behaviors, your habits, your skills, your feelings, your desires, your dreams, your strengths, your weaknesses. These are the things that are commonly known about you and are all out in the public. Let me give you a few examples, right? Ying loves working out. And I think it's safe to say we all also know that Ying loves to work out. This is part of his open area. Here's another example. You're very confident about your politics, and everyone in your life knows where you stand as well. Another example. You know you have the worst road rage in the world, and all your friends are keenly aware of it, so they are very hesitant to ever get in the car with you, right? These are the things that you know about yourself that you're aware of, whether they're strengths or weaknesses, good or bad, but it's also what the people around you in your life know about as well. Now, according to leading psychologists, the open area is the largest in emotionally healthy and balanced people. In other words, as we heal, as we mature and grow, the other areas, like the hidden area and the blind area, start to shrink. And the open area, the area where I'm aware of stuff, where people are aware of my stuff, gets bigger and bigger. I think of the word integrity. Right? What does integrity mean? There's no fracture between who you are on the outside and who you are on the inside. Who you are in public and who you are in private. There is no divide. There is no division. It's one and the same. It's wholeness, integrated whole. And so that is the open area. And this is the area we, we strive to make bigger in our lives, as we're going to see. The second area is the blind area. It's the things that people know about you. But you don't know about you, right? It represents what people know about you, but you don't know about yourself. It's the blind spots in our lives, the things other people recognize in us that we are often unable to see. What are some examples? Your friend, not the person you're sitting next to today, but your other friend has really strong BO, but they have no idea, right? They have no idea. They have really bad BO. Another example, your manager thinks they communicate really clearly, but everyone else on the team often feels a lack of clarity, right? Another thing, you think you're friendly and approachable, but others think you come across as angry and scary. I've gone that so many times. Just kidding. Um, But it can also be positive things. You have the gift of encouragement, but you actually think, I don't have many gifts at all. And so you have no idea there's this thing inside of you. It's a thing that others can see in you that you can't see within yourself. Now, one of the clearest signs of maturity is self-awareness. It's not perfection. It's self-awareness. I'm aware of the things and the areas where I'm immature and need to grow. You ever meet someone that's totally just unaware of themselves? Like totally not self-aware. You know, I, I love watching shows like American Idol and America's Got Talent because I am absolutely dumbfounded how some people can go on those shows and actually think that they are good singers. Do you ever wonder that watching the TV show? Do they really think they're good? Or do they know they're bad? No. Some people actually think they're that good and they get up there and they're hit with the reality check like we talked about last week, right? Some people are just so unaware of themselves. See, I find that how we think we come across and how we actually come across are often two very different things. And as we live, as long as we live in ignorance about our blind area, we'll never grow or mature. And so how do we shrink our blind area? Well, there's one way we can do that, and it's simply by asking for feedback. Um, Greek philosopher Antisthenes, I think I said that right, One said, there are only two people who can tell you the truth about yourself, an enemy who has lost his temper and a friend who loves you dearly. Yo, I would rather have a friend tell me the truth about myself than an enemy, right? Sometimes we need friends to tell us the truth about ourselves, this is why Paul says in Ephesians four fourteen through 15, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. He's talking about doctrine and theology here, but I think it extends beyond that. Do we have people in our lives that speak the truth in love to us? Paul is saying there's only so much growing and maturing you can do on your own. We need people to speak the truth in love to us, to tell us the hard things that no one else will, and to not get defensive. You know, me and my wife, before we started pastoring this church, we were part of the staff at another church and so we would be in these staff meetings together And, you know, the staff meetings to me were really frustrating at the time because, you know, some people love long meetings. I hate long meetings. I hate sitting there not needing to be like, you know, we don't need to be here doing this. And I hate long meetings. But every staff meeting that was supposed to be 45 minutes turned into like two and a half hours or three-hour meetings. And after each meeting, yeah, Fatai knows, after each meeting, Krista would often come to me and say, do you know that the entire time you were frowning and you just gave off this negative vibe that just sucked all of the joy out of the room? I was like, damn, that's really harsh. But at the same time, I was like, thank you so much for speaking the truth and love to me. Next time, next time I went into the meeting, I was like, (laughs) they could still tell, but at least I was aware of it. Right? We need people to speak the truth in love to us. And perhaps one of the greatest red flags I see in our generation is this mentality that no one can tell me what to do. I'm my own authority. I'm the captain of my own life. And when people disagree with me or have concerns about the way I'm living, man, you ain't agreeing with my truth. Instead of leaning into those things, I'm going to cut you out of my life. I'm going to do it on my own. But the questions I want to ask you are, do you have people in your life who are willing to confront you, to have the hard conversations when they're necessary? Or how about this? Maybe a better question is, do you allow people to confront you? Are you approachable? Do you get defensive when people share their concerns? Do you regularly invite feedback into your life? Right? This also includes inviting counsel into our lives. I talked about it a few weeks ago, how in the Western society, uh, we largely make big decisions about our lives on our own. Who I'm going to marry, what job I'm going to take, what city I'm going to live in. But actually throughout history, most societies outside of the Western societies actually operate in more of a familial group thing style, where every major decision is weighed not just against my own personal convictions and beliefs, but against the good of the community of the people of the social surroundings that I'm a part of in proverbs 11:14 a lot of wisdom that that's shared in the proverbs about this where there is no guidance a people falls but in an abundance of counselors there is safety proverbs 12:15 the way of a fool is right in his own eyes but a wise man listens to advice One of my mentors says, I actually have a group of strategic counselors. And it's not like an actual board. It's just a group of friends that whenever he needs to make a major decision in his life, he'll go to them and say, hey, what do you think about this? What are you hearing from God on my behalf? What do you think about the decision I'm making? What do you think about this and that? And using the group and saying, I want counsel. I can't do this on my own. The question I want to ask, are all the major decisions in your life made in isolation? Or do you involve people you trust to speak into your life? You know, I feel so honored, Krista and I. Like, We feel so honored when our church members come up to me and ask us our opinion. And I often tell them, like, I'm probably wrong here because I do not have the gifted sermon, but Krista does, so listen to her, okay? But, but there's something about when we invite counsel into our lives, God honors that, the wisdom that pours through. It opens a door for us and for safety and for covering. 99, hear me, we did not start this church in isolation, I know we love to call ourselves the rebels and the runaways, so F authority, we're just going to do everything on our own. No, we, we consulted many of our mentors, people that are far older than us. We walked with people. I walked with our therapists, with pastors, with leaders who were walking with us every step of the way as we launched a church, as we took it public, as we even got the name 99. Remember, we used to change our church name every month. Maybe we'll go back to that. I don't know. But there's something powerful about inviting editors into our lives to give us feedback and give us counsel. So that's the blind area. The third is the hidden area, right? This is, these are the things that you know about yourself, but others don't know about you. This quadrant represents what you know about you, but what people don't know about you. These are the things we tend to hide and conceal from others. This includes feelings, past experiences, fears, intentions, hurts, regrets. Some examples, you're burning out at work and you need help, but you don't want your coworkers to think you're not pulling your weight You experienced traumatic things in your household growing up, but are ashamed for others to find out. You were really hurt by something a friend did, but you don't want to stir up conflict, so you keep it to yourself. These are the hidden things, the things that we don't want other people to know. But the way we shrink the blind area is obvious. It's by disclosing or giving feedback. It's about letting people in to our inner world, to letting them know our true feelings, our true desires, to letting them know, here are my gifts, here are my strengths, here are my weaknesses, here's how I succeeded, here's how I messed up. Letting people know, here's my history, this is my past. It's revealing the hidden things that about yourself to people that you trust. James 5:16, Paul says, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed, hear me, church. There is a healing and wholeness that can only come by confession. Now, I know all of you. As soon as you hear the word confession, already you're kind of closing off to the idea. I think we have a lot of misconceptions about what confession means. In youth group when I was growing up, confession looks like on the last night of youth retreat, I go find a youth leader and I tell them, "Oh my God, I watched pornography. I masturbated. I messed up this way and that way. It's just spilling all my deepest, darkest mistakes, the things that I'm ashamed of." But Actually, confession is so much bigger than just about sharing your deepest, darkest sins and mistakes. Confession is sharing about your weaknesses and your struggles. Confession is sharing about your insecurities, your doubts. It's about sharing about your worries and anxieties. Confession is sharing about your low self-esteem and the unhealthy patterns of thinking that you can't seem to escape. You know, a wise lion once told me, everything the light touches is our kingdom, right? Mufasa once said that, and it really resonated with me. Actually, when when the Lion King re-released in theaters a few years back, I watched it, and I was bawling. And everyone around me is like, man, Christians are so weird, right? But Mufasa once said, everything the light touches is our kingdom. In other words, what remains in darkness has power over us. But what's brought into the light submits to the authority of God's kingdom. Confession is simply the practice of bringing into the light what is concealed in darkness. The healing, freedom, breakthrough we need is in the light. And sometimes the simple act of revealing what. It's been hidden not even if anything happens after that not even if i share with kevin kevin i've been feeling really self-conscious about my preaching lately even just the simple act of sharing even if kevin doesn't say nah bro you've been good or here's how you can improve even if he didn't say a single word the simple act of bringing something into the light is in it of itself a healing experience There was someone in one of my community groups years back who shared with the group, I really struggle with insecurity. I really feel low about myself, especially in group settings. I wonder if I'm lovable, if I'm capable, even in my office and my teams. And when they told us, guess what? Now that we were invited into their struggle, we were able to help and walk with them. And so every week we would ask, Are there any moments you felt insecure? What are the lies? Let us tell you the truth about who you actually are. And week after week, we saw this person come out of their shell and start to come into who God has created them to be. Why? Because they brought out of hiding, out of the darkness, things into the light. And so the questions I want to ask you is, do you invite people into the hidden areas of your life? Are there hidden things that God is challenging you to bring into the light? Have you made confession a regular part of your spiritual life? You know, for all the flack that the Catholic church gets, I think a few things that they do really well, they have integrated these practices into a lifestyle. And so, you know, in, if you go to a Catholic church, I went to a Catholic high school, um, there would be booths for confession. Right, where you could just confess what's going on, all the things that you're struggling with to a priest. And while I think that, that was grossly mis, misused and abused oftentimes, I think the sentiment behind it is actually very powerful. We don't really bake confession into our regular rhythms of life. We don't really have consistent places where we can have conversations and say, "Um, here are some of the things that I'm struggling with. Here are some of the insecurities I've been feeling. Here are some of the thinking patterns that have been plaguing my mind. Here are some of the mistakes that I've made. Here are some of the things inside of me. And I think when we are able to practice the art of confession, there's power and breakthrough there. That's the, the third area. And the last area is the unknown area, right? This is what, People don't know about you and what you don't know about yourself. It's a mystery. It's uncharted territory. It's the new frontier. This represents what is unknown to everyone other than God. This area is filled with subconscious fears and motivations that aren't really seen by you or the people around you, right? This can be the things about ourselves that are a result of a traumatic past, um, experiences or events that we're often unaware of. Maybe you've gone through something and you haven't really processed it well, but it's actually affected your life in more ways than you think. But you don't know why and people don't know why, right? Examples. You snap at your partner every time money gets brought up, but you both don't know why. Only later you find out that you grew up in a household struggling for, with money, struggling with gambling addictions, right? You have an irrational fear of commitment, but you and your partner have no idea where it comes from, right? You sit in a community group, and someone says something that sets someone off, and they just explode, and no one knows what's going on. It just happens. It's the unknown areas of our lives. But one of the ways that we can unveil what's in the unknown area is through therapy therapy or mentorship, or coaching, right? You can buy a therapy journal from uh, Joanna's company and really process some of the unknown things in our lives. You know, in most of our favorite movies, right, what happens A sage or a guide comes alongside our protagonist and helps them become the person that they were meant to be, right? Think of the classic archetypes for sages. We have Gandalf, right? We have Dumbledore. We have Yoda. I don't know why they're all old white men and a green alien, but it just happens that way, I guess. We need more representation, guys. Mr. Miyagi, okay? I like Mr. Miyagi. We need sages and mentors to lead us to places we've never been right? To help us uncover the unknown things in our hearts. Great example. Every time I sit with my mentor, y- y'all know Pastor Brian. I was back in, So. we were down in SoCal uh, last month and I-, I got to sit with him and it was so cute. His son was gardening like at 9 p.m. at night and we we're just sitting outside enjoying watermelons and I was only supposed to be there for like an hour because I had to get back to my wife, but I ended up staying four hours and I swear to God, when I sat with him, it just unlocked things that were in me that I didn't know about myself, that he didn't know about me. Just things were unlocked. Same thing when I go to see my therapist. When Chris and I were seeing a therapist as we transitioned to starting 99, there were things that came out that we had no idea about. Sometimes we need sages, we need guides to help us on the journey of discovering the things in our unknown areas. Another way is through steadfast learning. Have you ever read a book? Or listen to a podcast and you had to pause it, you had to put the book down because something just clicked, a light bulb went off, you're like, oh, that's what's going on inside of me and something is just unlocked, something just suddenly made sense. Or have you ever sat through a class or a seminar or maybe a sermon at 99 where something just clicked and it's like, oh, That's what's going on inside of me. That's unlocking a part of who I am. Continuing to commit ourselves to continued learning and growing is essential to helping us uncover the unknown areas of our lives. And one last way is through long-term friendships. Some things simply take time to surface Some things simply take time to bubble to the top of our lives, and perhaps one of the reasons maybe why we remain in ignorance about so many things inside of us is because we haven't walked with people long enough for them to actually be brought out. I always tell people marriage is so beautiful and so great, but it also Along with the good that's drawn out from deep inside of us, all the ugly things begin to come out too. Like the first year of marriage, Krista and I were so polite, we were so thoughtful, and we still are. We love each other very much, guys. Our marriage is okay, I just want to give an example. But there are things I notice in the span of our marriage, the longer we've been together, oh my God, I didn't know that was inside of me. Like, I didn't know I could get like that. I didn't know that I would react like that. I didn't know that I could even think like that. There are things that start to come out the longer you've been together with someone. And I think some of us, we just haven't cultivated relationships, close relationships, for long enough for our actual ish to come out. Sometimes it takes time. It takes walking with people through the long haul for us to discover the things in the unknown areas of our lives. So questions, have you invited sages? I love that word. I I just like it so much better than mentors or guides. Sages into your life to guide you on your journey. Are you continuing to commit to learning and growing? Have you invested in long-term friendships? And so these are the four panels. Can we go back to the original Johari window? I think it was a few slides up. So remember the open area, these are the things known to all, unknown area, unknown to all, unknown to self, but known to others is the blind area, and known to self and unknown to others is the hidden area. And as we, we could go to the next slide, our goal here is for the open area to become the biggest we want to decrease the things that we don't know about ourselves. We want to decrease um, who we are in private and who we are in public. And so this, this is my challenge to you this week. It's very practical. We are a very practical church. I want you to take a stab at creating your own Johari window. You could call it your Dan window or your Joanna window or your Alex window. You can name it whatever you want. But create your own window. And I want you to take notice of where you need growth. Can we go actually to the one right before this, right? Maybe your blind area is bigger. Maybe your hidden area is bigger, right? The panels change sizes based on the reality of our lives. And so you could go next slide. Now, if your if you're blind area is too big, practice inviting more feedback into your life, right? Connect with someone that you trust and here's some questions you can ask them. If you're going to write anything down, you can write these down. Some questions you can ask people to invite feedback, right? Because it's, it's kind of weird if I just sit with you and I'm, I'm eating with Jerry. And I'm like, hey, I want you to just speak the truth to me in love, bro. Like, just come on. Just give me feedback about them, right? It's weird. Don't do that. Don't be like a weird Christian, please. Some questions you can ask. What are some of my greatest strengths that I don't know about, right? Tell me something good before you hurt me. Um, what is one of my weaknesses, right? Don't say, what are all of my weaknesses? You will be utterly destroyed. What's one? <laughs> What's one of my weaknesses? What's something that I could really work on here? All right, here's another question. Is there anything that you notice about my life or behavior that concerns you? You know, it could be a little concern. could be a big concern. You know, maybe what I'm doing with my career. Maybe some of the decisions that I'm making. Right? Another way that we can decrease our blind area, if you have any major decisions you need to make about your life, invite their counsel. Say, hey, what do you think about this situation? What do you think about how I'm planning on responding, how I'm planning on going about this? And so if your blind area is too big, just invite feedback. Right? Ask people to speak the truth in love. Create a space where that's possible. If your hidden area is too big, practice the spiritual discipline of confession. Connect with someone you trust. Share with them your sins or your struggles or even your worries, your unhealthy patterns of thinking. Right? Confession can look like, hey, Ying, let's go out to get wrapped in pizza. Ying, I've been really anxious about the Verde Club because it was really hot last week and we don't have our AC installed yet. By the way, our AC is going to be finished by the end of October, right in time for winter. But it, it also has a heating system, so when in the cold, you know, anyway, It's not just sharing, oh, I messed up, bro. It's sharing, man, these are the things that are weighing my heart, weighing in my mind. Connect with someone you trust. Bring into light something that you've been trying to overcome in darkness by yourself and ask for their prayers. And lastly, for the unknown window, connect with mentors, sages, leaders, pastors, therapists. Continue learning, right? Continue reading, continue listening to podcasts, and stay connected with your long-term friends. Maybe there's someone that you are, have been in a relationship with a long time, but you haven't talked to them recently. Connect with them. Keep the fires of your relationship continue, continuously burning. I want to end with a quote by my man, TK, who often has a lot of good things to say. And this is what TK, Tim Keller, says. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. So right now, I want to invite you into a time of response. Why don't we close our eyes as we get ready to pray? And as we get ready to pray, I want you to ask God this. God, are there areas in my life where I need to invite editors to come into? Are there areas in my life where I need the editing of people that I love, of people that I trust? Are there areas in my life that need people to speak into Are there things within my heart that I need to disclose or bring out into the light? I want you to begin asking God, what window, what area, what window panel is the largest? And God, how can I continue to live in a way where I can move towards healing and wholeness? God, would you search me? God, would you show me if there's any offensive way in me? Help me be the kind of person who lives whole, who lives fully integrated. Help me be the kind of person who lives with integrity. God, I want to live a good story. God, I want to live the kind of story worth telling but I need editors. We need people to come into our lives. We need people to speak truth and love. We need people that we can lean on. We need guides and sages. We need people to lead us into the unknown, into the new frontiers. God, would we be the type of people who don't try to go it alone? Would we be the kind of people who invite the editors to make our stories beautiful?